Greetings and welcome to the Recombobulation Area podcast edition. My name is Dan Schaefer. One of the biggest stories in Wisconsin right now is the battle over redistricting. Maps that will be in place for the next decade are now being discussed and debated in the Wisconsin State Legislature. In my most recent column, I wrote about the new maps being proposed by state Republicans, which takes one of the worst gerrymanders in the country and pushes it even further to the extreme. Those maps were the topic of discussion at a public hearing at the state capitol last week, where not one member of the public stepped forward to speak and voice support for those maps. Not one person. But many people showed up to testify against those maps over the course of a nine-hour hearing. One of those people is Sachin Chetta, director of the Fair Elections Project. He is here to speak with me today. Sachin, welcome to the Recombobulation Area. Thank you, Dan. Uh, so glad to be here. Really excited about it. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me. So you were one of the many people who offered testimony at last week's public hearing. Uh, can you tell me just kind of what it was like being in that room um, as, uh, as Speaker Voss and Leader LeMayhew unveiled those maps and as uh, so many people gave passionate testimony? So, Dan, that's a really great question. Uh, it was really a great moment for citizen awareness, I think it felt like the culmination of many, many years of work. And to actually be able to engage Republican members of the legislature directly, because they really generally don't let you do that, right? They, they don't have to sit there and listen most of the time. They don't respond a lot to outreach on this issue, and they don't uh, want to engage. They just want to voice their talking points. And so that we were able to have dozens and dozens of people speak truth to power and, and really talk about how, not only how the maps were rigged, but the impact that that's had on people's lives and their feelings of being not represented through our democracy or the issues that haven't gotten addressed uh, from education to climate, to public safety, to all the different things that, that they, to education, things that, that the Republican majority just doesn't want to address. It, it was quite a moment. And, and to listen, I mean, I'll tell you, it was horrifying also because we had to listen to Robin Voss with his incredibly smug and rude demeanor and just spout lie after lie. And he's really a consummate slick snake oil politician, right? The, the classic uh, uh, trite cliche of a used car salesman. Uh, and I, I'm sure there were at least some of the many Republicans in the room who were a little embarrassed, but they're just too cowardly to speak up and say anything about the behavior of their leader. So an interesting day all around. Yeah, that's, you know, comes to be, it's uh, what we've come to expect from Robin Voss. He's, you know, just came out and got super defensive right off the bat, real prickly, uh, very up, seemingly very upset at all times at all of the, uh, the Democrats on the committee who are asking him some, you know, some very important questions. Um, were you there for the full nine hours? What were some of the uh, what were some of the um, testimony uh, that stood out to you? Yeah, I, I was there for the full nine hours. I, I, I took a couple of breaks to use the restroom and scarf down a sandwich and a cup of soup really quickly at one point. But for the most part, I was in the room uh, for just about the whole time. Uh, I think you know the most compelling testimonies I think were when people just were really you know passionate and and concerned about our state. You had uh, a couple of folks representing the indigenous community talking about how they just are kind of not listened to and their issues are not addressed. You had 
students talking about how their issues don't get addressed because the maps are gerrymandered to kind of ignore the, the voices of students. Uh, you had uh, people from various communities uh, just talking about how, you know, they, they're, they're ignored and, and how members of the legislature don't even look at them or listen to them when they're, when they're speaking. I mean, I think that every Republican legislator knows that they don't really have to listen to folks that they don't agree with. Like they're, they're not dumb. They know that that's the case. Um, and obviously they're okay with it. They're okay with the idea that they're going to have job security and, and not really have to pay attention to the interests of constituents. Uh, it's not democracy, right? The, the, it's power. It's the exercise of power. It's not democracy, but you know, maybe there's some shame in their heart, even if they, they can't publicly demonstrate that shame. Yeah, it's it's you know, it, it really is emblematic, I think, of just the larger approach that these Republicans running the Wisconsin state legislature take to governing. They don't listen to the public because they don't have to. And the maps are the reason that they don't have to. And I think you uh, in your testimony articulated that really well um, and just talked about, you know, how deeply unfair these maps are. Um, can you break down a little bit of, you know, kind of what you said uh, in your testimony. And I think maybe if you could, um, you know, bring a particular focus to the, the just the fairness aspect uh, of it and how, you know, I think one of your, I'm looking up one of your quotes from that testimony here where you said, you know, I think you can earn the support of the people of Wisconsin. You'll probably do it even more than 50% of the time, but you won't do it every time. Um, can you, you know, kind of explain, expand on what that means? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to guess that most of your listeners know in, in broad strokes what gerrymandering is. But when you look at the data that shows what the facts are in Wisconsin about how rigged the maps are, the numbers really do blow folks' minds. And so I think, you know, in terms of the, the main points that I made, I, I think Wisconsin has a real history of being a swing state and swing, not just meaning that it's close, but swing, meaning that it goes back and forth, right? That we've had democratic and Republican governors, we've had democratic and Republican control of the legislature. And there is this sense that when either party gets too much power, that uh, the way it's set up in Wisconsin, that Wisconsin voters then kind of enough people switch their votes or choose not to show up or to show up uh, in the next election to change who wins. And then that way there's a course correction and it keeps things uh, a little bit more even uh, from a partisan standpoint. And what happened obviously after they rigged the maps in 2011 is that even though the electorate continued to swing back and forth, right? And so some years the Republicans won big majorities and some years the Democrats won big majorities, the, they completely disconnected election results from the, the vote and seat allocation in the legislature. And so the Republicans always get kind of the same number of assembly seats within a narrow band of about 60 to 64 seats. And then the Democrats uh, get, and that's the assembly, and then the Democrats get the remaining seats. And that, you know, it doesn't matter if the Democrats win a majority or the Republicans win a majority. Uh, and it doesn't matter how big that majority is. It, it just is gonna always be that same way where the Republicans, are going to win the same sort of majority, and that's that's the way they've 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 rigged the maps. What that meant for uh, Wisconsin is that you just simply have this situation where every time uh, the same people are elected, they they're not going to be responsive to the new issues raised 
by the electorate. They're not going to actually listen to what's happening in the world. You know, they're not going to address climate. They're not going to address, you know, changes in education. They're not going to address uh, the concerns that, that people have. Obviously, COVID is a great example of that. There was no ability of the parties to kind of get together and agree on a COVID strategy because the Republicans had a real disincentive from ever doing anything in agreement with a Democratic governor, knowing that they really just have to win that one seat back to have total power again, because they already have guaranteed themselves power in the legislature. Um, so, you know, look, I used a lot of words. I, I called it un-American. I called it cowardly. You know, I, I pointed out to these Republicans that if they really think that they're, you know, that they're running better candidates and they wouldn't have to rig the maps, they would just win under fair maps, as they did in 2010 and as they would have in 2014 uh, under fair maps, but but maybe not so much under, you know, in 2012 or 2018, if you look at these different elections. Um, and it, it is good for our uh, political system. It is good for democracy when we have a party-based system for that party-based system to go back and forth. It, 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 you know, I'm a Democrat, and of course, at some level, I'm always going to support Democrats, but it probably wouldn't be good for democracy to have one party rule. Like that's not really a, a healthy way to construct competition. Um, and so, you know, this idea that, that it doesn't matter and, you know, people can just compete, you know, uh, with these maps, which means only Republicans can win. It really does degrade democracy. It degrades the very idea of America. And I think that that's, you know, those are, those are a few things that I talked about. Absolutely. It removes the element that makes them accountable to voters, which is competition. And without that competition, that they, they can do things like take 300 days off in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, not uh, not address a real in your face crisis that's going on. That's exactly right. And, you know, people can agree and disagree about what those solutions should have been. I think one of the things and, and I pointed this out in my testimony is is that they don't even want to have the debate. Right. So if the governor calls a special session on on education or on guns, they're just going to or on democracy issues, whatever it is, they're just going to gavel that in and gavel it right out. They don't want to actually have a public debate. They don't want the public to discuss these issues. They don't want there to be a diversity of opinions amongst legislators. They want uh, the party leadership, uh, their party leadership to decide uh, what is going to be passed and what isn't going to be passed and everybody has to go along or they're going to get kicked out. I mean, it's really kind of, I mean, you know, I guess I don't understand why you'd want to be a legislator in that system. Not a single legislator in the Republican Party in Wisconsin has any sort of freedom of thought or any freedom to, to do what they think is best for the state of Wisconsin. They have to go along with whatever Robin Voss uh, decides, uh, because if they don't go along with what Robin Voss decides, then he's going to run a primary against them and get them kicked out of the uh, kicked out of the legislature, and they're going to lose their jobs. So it's really a, a, a you know it's it's just uh, a, you know literally getting elected to be an empty suit, and it's I don't know I, I would find it you know um, I'm not sure what the gender neutral term for demasculating is uh, emasculating. I mean it's it's just you know it's it's uh, reducing people's personhood. Um, and I, I just wouldn't want to live that way. Yeah, I think the gavel in gavel out is such a perfect example of what you're talking about, because they just it's, you know, in a healthy democratic system, you have people who are willing to have the debate. Like, if you don't think you should expand Medicaid, fine, have the debate. If you don't think there should be, you know, uh, universal background checks or uh, any of these numbers, uh, any number of things that Governor Evers has called a special session on in the last couple of years, if you, you know, if you believe that you should be willing to have the debate and make the case to the people, um, but they're not even willing to do that. 
anymore. It's uh, it's a sad state of affairs over there. Yeah, and it's, again, it's really inconsistent with the long history, the long bipartisan history of Wisconsin as a state, right? We, we were a state that, that for a long time pro, uh, prided ourselves on being a uh, state full of independence, full of independent thinkers. You know, we even had Democratic and Republican governors who weren't always the most popular with their own party because they were independent thinkers. Um, and that culture in Wisconsin, I think, is deeply ingrained. And uh, a lot of the big changes that have happened, the big reforms that have happened in Wisconsin's history over the last 150 or 200 years have been made on a bipartisan basis. And that's now, again, been lost. You know, I think about like all the environmental progress that was made, and it was always a bipartisan coalition uh, of northern Wisconsin legislators, both Republicans and Democrats, uh, who stood together to protect uh, our natural environment and make sure that we have the outdoors to enjoy for generations to come. And all of that history now has been lost because of, you know, special interest influence and, and the desire of parties to maintain total control of, of, of the system. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk to you about a little bit about what's just like, you know, the context of what's happening here. Um, so obviously, Wisconsin is not the only state that's going through a redistricting process right now. And, you know, I think you mentioned in your testimony that that Illinois is another example of a state that is having a clearly partisan gerrymander, but obviously coming from the other side of the aisle. Um, and, you know, there are new and different approaches uh, that have been emerging uh, in recent years to uh, to address this issue. Uh, so maybe you could just talk about, um, you know, kind of the context of where Wisconsin fits and how Wisconsin legislature really has come to be uh, such an extreme gerrymander. Yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of stuff there. So you may want to come back and, and, and make sure I hit the points I don't hit. But let me just start by saying, you know, one of the things that we know and we've said all along is that, uh, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so when you have one party that has controls of all the liver, uh, the levers of the uh, redistricting process, uh, they, the inclination is to rig the maps for the future. And, and that's true if uh, the both houses of the legislature are controlled by Republicans. And that's true along with the governor's office. And, and that's also true when both houses of the legislature uh, and the governor's office are controlled by the Democrats. And that's obviously what you see in in Illinois and, and maybe a couple of other states. There's not a lot of states where, where uh, Democrats have uh, total control. There's a lot more states that Republicans have total control because Republicans were more effective at gerrymandering in 2010, really. Um, and so what, what, you, what, you, what you have is a, a moment in time, right, where if, if, if in this redistricting year, right, so there was a census and the census shows that the population is unequal. And so then you have to do the redrawing and that happens every 10 years, basically the year after the census. If it happens that, that, that you have one party rigging the maps during the, this redrawing year, that is amplified and stays there for the entire 10 years, which is what happened in Wisconsin. And it happened in quite a few other states as well, North Carolina and Michigan and other places. Um, what you see uh, happening here uh, has been worse just because frankly, the quality of the gerrymander, the effectiveness of the gerrymander was greater in Wisconsin than it was in any other state. They, they just did a better job of it. And so that has, you know, entrenched Republicans, as we talked about earlier, here in a way that allows them to ignore issues. So we're at this moment where 
you know, we do have a Democratic governor. We, we think that the maps the Republicans have have uh, drawn, which they're going to pass into, you know, they're going to try to pass into law next week, but the governor will veto them, and then this will all go to court. And so what's happening in states around the country where there is one party control of the governor's office in both houses of the legislature is they're just passing new maps and they're entrenching control of the legislature and, and giving themselves kind of an outside number of congressional seats. In states where there's split control right now, like Wisconsin, those maps then will go to courts and they will go to kind of both state and federal courts in uh, multiple pieces of litigation. And it will take a few months to figure out exactly how those things all fit together and how they all shake out. Um, and obviously here we have to worry because our, our Supreme Court has shown itself to be, to be pretty partisan in Wisconsin as well. And so I think the Republicans are trying really hard to have the state Supreme Court do their rigging for them uh, after the governor vetoes the maps. And so that's that's something that we're watching out for, but there are cases in both state and federal court. Um, and so I, I think, I feel like there was one more question that you asked in that last series, and I'm not sure that I got to it, but uh, I do think that what you'll see over the next few months is we just need to keep public attention on what's happening while these cases are being litigated in court uh, so that, uh, the public is aware and they're paying attention and it puts judges and justices in the position of having to know that what they're doing is subject to public scrutiny. It's not something that's happening kind of behind closed doors or without a lot of people paying attention. Okay. So that kind of gets me to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which was the inevitable court fight uh, over these maps. So the maps that Robin Voss introduced and that you discussed in the public hearing last week, uh, in all likelihood, the Republicans will pass them. Uh, and with certainty, uh, Governor Evers will veto them. And so, and we also have, you know, uh, the, the maps that were drawn through Governor Evers People's Maps Commission, uh, those will be introduced as well. In all likelihood, the Republicans will vote those down. So what happens after that happens uh, yeah. with the court battle? So let me just say one thing, which is you called it inevitable. And I think it's obviously the outcome that's going to happen right now. But I don't like that word because we're, you know, to get to here wasn't inevitable. It was a conscious set of decisions, especially by the Republican leadership, not to negotiate with Democrats and to not do this transparently and to not do it in a fair process. And and end up with a fair result. I, they absolutely could very easily have drawn a map. I mean, frankly, they still could, that the governor would sign. It would just have to be a much fairer map. And what right. they've said is, no, we want to take our chances in court. And so that's a choice and a decision that they're making because they think that you know they can, they can win that court battle. And so they're making that bet. Um, what would be better for the state is if they, if they came up with a fair result. And you know, even in that fair result, it would likely have at least a slight Republican advantage, uh, but it wouldn't be such a massive advantage that they could, you know, basically bake super majorities in for themselves for the next decade, which is what they're trying to do. So th these court cases have already started. They're, they're, they've been in court uh, for uh, uh, many weeks and in some cases, many months already. Uh, cases were filed in both state and federal court, basically immediately following the results of the, the uh, release of the census data because the census data proved that the current maps, the maps we've been working under for the last 10 years are now out of date, right? Because you have lots of districts that have 
unequal population uh, and no longer meet the requirements of the Voting Rights Act. And, and those are things that, that, that we know. And so they started the litigation. What the courts have done up until now is basically they've waited. So they've had a little bit of briefing back and forth. They've done some preliminary work, but they haven't like had a trial or anything because they're waiting to see what happens in the legislature and giving the legislature a chance to pass a map and for the governor to sign those maps. When the governor vetoes the maps, I think that the litigation in both state and federal court will move forward at a more rapid pace. And what I would expect to see is a trial, an actual trial, like with evidence introduced and witnesses on the stand. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how they intend to do that in the state Supreme Court, because the state Supreme Court doesn't have the facility to um, to gather witnesses, witness testimony and cross-examine. Like it, the courtroom is an appellate courtroom, not a, a, a trial courtroom. So we're not exactly sure how they plan to do that, if they're just going to kind of send it down to a lower court for those uh, hearings or what. But there's going to be some process. The federal court, which is set up to do trials, uh, has scheduled a trial. Uh, I don't remember the exact date, but I want to say it's in January. And so I think what will happen is you'll see these two trials go forward and you'll see this, you know, the you'll see the state Supreme Court potentially uh, pass a map and say this should be the map. You'll see the federal court say, well, maybe this should be the map uh, or maybe just evaluate the, the map uh, presented by the state court. It's a little clear about how those timelines will fit together. And then at the end, the federal court will say, OK, here's the map that, that you have to use. And that map will will even if it's subject to additional litigation, which is possible, will then be the map that we likely conduct the 2022 election under. So I expect all that litigation to be done by mid to late March, um, which would give uh, candidates a couple of weeks, um, maybe a few weeks to decide if they want to run and start gathering signatures to get on the ballot uh, by April 15th. So this is all going to happen pretty, once it starts happening, it's going to all happen pretty fast. with the. Court. Yeah, I mean, we've got about four months for this litigation to play out. And that's a little bit faster than it usually happens, but the courts are well aware of the time deadlines. They've indicated so in court, in you know some of these hearings that have taken place in the preliminaries. And uh, it's pretty clear that they know what they have to do and that they intend to do it in the time that they have, so. So you mentioned you know, how some of, some of this will um, appear in the state Supreme Court, some will be in federal court. Who's gonna be making the ultimate decision here? So the way that I look at this is there is a supremacy clause, right, where the federal the federal uh, legal decisions take priority. Um, I think what's what we don't know is what will the state decide and how quickly will they decide it, and then how much will the federal court then take that into account in terms of the decision they make. So just as a hypothesis, the state could pass a map, and then the federal court could say, okay, we're going to evaluate that map and determine whether it meets the the standard the federal standard especially under the voting rights act um and if it does they'll accept it if it doesn't maybe they'll amend it the the federal court could also go through a process and draw their own map it's a little unclear what the three judge panel in federal court intends to do and i think some of it will be depending on the timeline that uh the state court ends up finalizing and using and and uses goes going forward so look i'm not a lawyer i'm just someone who plays one on TV or on podcasts. So I, I'm not 100% sure exactly how this is going to shake out. I, frankly, I'm not sure even the lawyers are sure uh, 100% how it's going to shake out. But I think it's, it's fair to say that there's going to be uh, fighting in court, in both state and federal court, and that is going to result in uh, a decision that at some level has to be a federal final decision to accept the map because the federal court is, is, is more powerful than the state court. 
Right, right. Okay. So the other piece of this that I'm still uh, trying to figure out exactly how it connects to, you know, this, this uh, court debate is, uh, is the People's Maps Commission, uh, which of course that uh, Governor, Ever, Governor Evers has been working on uh, with that uh, nonpartisan commission uh, for, I don't know, well over a year, it seems like at this point. Um, and those maps, the final maps of those were introduced earlier this week as well. Um, the uh, uh, Princeton gerrymandering project, which gave the Republican maps, maps an F, gave the people's maps an A. Uh, so that seems like maybe they're a little bit more fair uh, for this state. Um, so how do those connect to what's happening in the courts? How do those, uh, those maps connect? Yeah. So let me just say one thing is that I, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people refer to this as the governor's commission. It's really not the governor's commission. He, he named it the people's maps commission. He created some distance between how the, the members of the commission would be selected. He didn't select them himself. What he did is he selected a panel of retired judges and that panel of retired judges included judges who had kind of Republican backgrounds and democratic backgrounds. And then that panel of judges evaluated applications for citizens who wanted to be on the commission. And none of those citizens could have like significant partisan credentials. They couldn't be political party leaders. They couldn't be elected officials. They could, you know, they couldn't be lobbyists. And so those citizens, those nine citizens then have spent the, the, the many months, I think, I think it's actually been a year now, working uh, as volunteers to collect information from experts and, and, and through data, evaluate that information, take submissions from literally thousands of people from across the state who provided testimony and, and, and actually drew maps and parts of maps, um, and then synthesized that into a series of drafts and then, and then decided on a final map for the, the state Senate map, the state assembly map, and the, and the congressional map. So those maps really reflect a, a good nonpartisan independent process that wasn't driven by politicians, but that was actually, you know, it truly was a citizen commission. Now, the unfortunate reality is that the Republicans don't like that map because it is fairer. I, I still think it probably isn't as fair as a map could be. And what I mean by that is it's still biased towards the Republicans to some degree. I don't think it's nearly as biased as the Republicans map is. And it's still a you know reasonable map, but you, you can definitely draw a map that's, that's a little bit more, um, competitive between the two parties. But but the Republicans don't even want to consider this map. They don't want to give it any leg legitimacy. Um, and so what I think will happen is that some legislator, likely a Democrat, will introduce the People's Maps Commission on the floor of, of, of one or both houses as they're as they're coming to votes as an amendment. And then there'll be a, a vote to, you know, to accept those maps or to deny those maps. And, you know, all the Republicans will vote against it. And then th those maps will essentially be dead at that point from a legislative process. However, it's perfectly appropriate for citizens or others, uh, you know, plaintiffs or whoever, to, to ask for those maps to be considered by the court. The court can, at both the state and federal court can consider all kinds of information. Um, and so the expectation is that those maps will be put in front of the court as at least an example of how to do it better. Um, and there may be someone who, you know, uh, overtly asks the court to, to, to implement the people's maps. And, you know, I don't think that it's particularly likely for the court to just, you know, kind of unamended say, okay, we're going to take these instead of those. But I do think it'll add to the conversation and it'll add to the litigation and the data that's collected, uh, the testimony, the evidence that the court has to consider um, and so it's important that those maps were created 
um, that, you know, the legislature will have a chance to vote on them in, in, in some form. And that at the end of the day, the, the, the court will have those maps to take a look at. And so um, for all those who did participate in the process, I think it's really important that process took place. And it was really, again, it was very, very, very transparent. They did all of their conversations in public in a way that the public could watch uh, online, um, there was never a situation where they went, you know, behind closed doors. Um, and so it really was a very transparent process and that, that contrasts tremendously with the process used by the Republicans, which is, although they took some public input, the actual drawing process was still completely secret and behind, behind closed doors. Right. Yeah. And I guess when I said, you know, the governor Evers commission and just the fact that he created this nonpartisan or, or created the executive yeah. order that created the nonpartisan. Right, exactly. And exactly. I think, he set the thing up, right. Right, and I think it's important to note that he's, you know, using uh, examples from other states to kind of create something similar because uh, Iowa is one that has been pointed to uh, a number of times as having a successful nonpartisan um, redistricting commission. And I think this looked to follow the Iowa model, is that correct? Yeah, so just to be clear, so the Iowa model is really amazing. And, and basically it, what it says is instead of having, the, there is a citizen commission that, 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 that takes testimony and evidence and has hearings all over the state, but the actual maps are drawn by nonpartisan staff in their, in the equivalent of Wisconsin's legislative reference bureau. So basically the people who draw, who, who write up every bill, like a legislator goes in and says, here's what I want the bill to say. And then there's a lawyer who actually takes what the legislator wants and turns that into legislative language. And it's the same agency that does that for Republicans and for Democrats. In Wisconsin, it's called the Legislative Reference Bureau. In Iowa, that agency has a different name. But basically that agency takes all this information and without taking partisan considerations into account, without taking incumbency into account and trying to protect incumbents, they then draw a map that complies with all the state and federal rules. And then the legislature basically has to accept that map up or down without an amendment. Um, the, the, the legislature can, can, can reject that map up to three times. Um, and and you know, uh, they've, they've done that once in history where they've, where they've gone to the third map. This time they went to the second map. So they rejected the first map that the, the nonpartisan lawyers drew and said, hey, there's some changes we want you to make. A lot of those were connected to the Voting Rights Act. And the legislative uh, services agency in, in Iowa went out and drew a better map. And, and, and the Republican majority in Iowa accepted that map. But what's really interesting is it was a very, very bipartisan vote. I think they had one vote against it in the Senate and three votes against it in, in the Iowa House, something like that. It was completely bipartisan, totally independent totally nonpartisan and bipartisan. Um, and that process has worked in Iowa for 50 years. Mm -hmm. And so we have a bill to implement such a process in Wisconsin that has not even gotten a hearing because the Republicans are afraid to give up their power, right? They don't want to give away their power to, to rig the maps. So uh, that bill hasn't even had a hearing. The People's Maps Commission was set up very similarly to that. It wasn't exactly the same because it, it's not legislative and they couldn't force... Uh, they can't force the legislature to take votes and 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 basically be stuck with the commission map the way that the Iowa uh, maps you know the way the legislature can kind of kind of get stuck with those. Uh, so our, it's not quite as good as our bill, but it's very similar. And again, the idea is that the maps are drawn by someone other than the politicians who benefit, and that's really the key uh, thing to take away when we talk about gerrymandering is that when politicians draw the maps. They draw those maps not to benefit the citizenry or democracy. They draw those maps to benefit themselves. They protect incumbents of both parties. Uh, you end up with less uh, with 
less quality representation from legislators of both parties. Um, and you end up with a legislature that's just simply not listening to the people on issue after issue after issue. And so that's, that's why it's bad. And that's why the Iowa uh, model is better. Yeah, I think the, the key thing, the key takeaway from it is that it, you know, it includes a layer in between the legislators and drawing their own districts. That's right. And I think that's the important thing that we're, that we're seeing through this People's Maps process. Uh, for those who have followed it closely, is that, you know, I, people can have a debate about what nonpartisan really means. And I don't know how much that really matters. Uh, but it still, it creates a layer in between the legislators drawing their own maps. And, you know, there's a there's a uh, image that I tend to tweet often uh, of like a example of how the process went last time. And you have former state Senator Leah Vukmir, who was using her email account to just kind of pick and choose the districts or the neighborhoods and cities and what have you that would be in, that would make up her district. Um, and this nonpartisan commission flawed as it may be, or, you know, as, as strong as it may be, creates that layer in between the legislators and the maps so that you don't have, you know, the exact situation that you don't want to have happen, which is what we saw here in Wisconsin in 2011. That's exactly right. And let me just tell you, you know, I think there's pretty broad bipartisan agreement, not only kind of in polling to say, you know, politicians shouldn't, you know, draw maps to, to basically save their own jobs for a decade, but that, you know, protecting incumbents is kind of gross. It's just a gross thing. You know, we don't elect people so that they have a job. We elect people because they're supposed to represent the values and perspectives of the people, right? And that's what living in a republic is all about. I've actually, just to be really clear, I've been very critical of the Milwaukee County Board for highly prioritizing incumbency uh, in their drawing of their new local county district maps. Um, and, you know, there's this argument made, it's made, it was made by uh, progressive Democratic county board members, and it's the same argument made by Robin Voss, that there's this need for continuity of representation. And what I have always said about politics and everyone in politics and every elected official is not a single one of them is indispensable, right? We believe in a citizen legislature. We believe in a system in which the people elect their representatives. And so there shouldn't be a situation where any one particular legislator is so indispensable that, you know, you have to do everything you can to kind of keep that person in office. And so, you know, once you do it for one, you can say, well, what about this one? What about that one? It's better to just never do it for any. And if that means that somebody who I think is a great legislator, who I think is a wonderful human being who shares my values, in the end is less likely to get elected or ends up having to you know, go up against another progressive and, and we lose somebody, I would say, well, that's the price of democracy, right? Like I'd rather have a situation where we have a good, fair process and a nonpartisan process uh, to draw the maps. And again, we had that process here in, in Milwaukee. Uh, it turned out that that you know, when push came to shove, even the progressive members of the county board couldn't abide the idea that like, you know, they were kind of losing control of the process and they ended up rejecting what the independent commission did and, and drawing the map themselves. And now you have a situation where the vast majority of incumbents are likely to come back next year and be reelected because they've drawn districts that that will benefit them in that reelection process. And I just think that's wrong. I think it's wrong if Democrats do it. I think it's wrong if Republicans do it. I think it's wrong if um Instead at the state level, at the federal level, at the local level, it doesn't matter. We shouldn't have politicians drawing their own maps. We should definitely have that be something that's taken out of their hands in order for democracy to work. Yeah, couldn't agree more. That process at the county board, but, you know, left left much to be desired. Let's just say that. Absolutely. Um, 
So um, for what's happening in the legislature, um, if people are, if people want to get involved, what should they do? Well, so the first thing I'd say is we need your help. We have uh, three and a half staff, three full-time people and a part-time person at the Fair Maps Coalition. Please go to fairmapswi.com. That's our coalition website, or you can go to fairelectionsproject.org, which is the underlying organization that sponsors the coalition, um, and uh, give us some support, help us pay for the salaries for the staff and all the organizing they're doing. Uh, obviously, we had we organized you know hundreds and hundreds of people to show up uh, in Madison the other day. We've been doing events like that. So uh, you can go to fairmapswi.com, give us some support so we can support the staff, go to fairelectionsproject.org. Or there's also a take action button at both of those websites. So you can see what we're asking people to do. Uh, we expect committee votes uh, on these uh, bills uh, tomorrow as we're recording this. I'm not sure exactly when you're going to post it, but on Thursday, November 5th, we'll see committee votes. We'll see floor votes in the assembly and the Senate uh, the week of the 8th or the 9th, whatever next week is. Um, I think it's the week of the 8th. Uh, we, I think those floor votes are expected to be on Monday in one house and Thursday in the other house. And then the maps will go to the governor to be vetoed. Uh, and then the court process will go uh, a little bit further along. So what we want people to do is write letters to the editor. We want you to hold public education events. We need you to support uh, the Fair Elections Project and the Fair Maps Coalition. Um, and we'll be having additional actions for people to take if you keep your eye on our social media pages uh, and on our websites, uh, because uh, that has been a moving target all along. We've had lots of different things for people to do over the last many years, and we will continue to have things for people to do as the litigation is going on. Um, I'll also just say that for listeners who are in Madison or Appleton, on Monday and Tuesday, we have a national visit from the Represent.us uh, Jerry's Partisan Pizza food truck. And so we're going to have uh, free pizza that we're giving out at the state capitol on Monday lunchtime and uh, uh, in Appleton by Houdini Park uh, on College Avenue um, at lunchtime on Tuesday, uh, Madison on Monday. And we'll be kind of telling the story of gerrymandering and handing out some free pizza and having some fun uh, with it, showing people how things could be different. And so we encourage people to come visit us there and get some free pizza. Uh, and, you know, again, keep an eye on our social media pages. That's the best way to stay involved. Very good. Uh, you're, you're doing great work over there. And I think, uh, you know, I think it, it's really important right now for for people to make sure that this issue is top of mind because we have a lot of crazy news stories going on in Wisconsin right now. And some of them will last a news cycle and these maps will last 10 years. Uh, so yeah. I think it's really, really important uh, that people not get, not let this get lost in the shuffle with all of the other crazy that is, uh, that is happening on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. Right? And just if there's anything, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, if you've looked at the legislature in the last decade and you said, man, why did they do that? The answer is because they could and because they thought they could get away with doing that because they weren't going to be held accountable uh, to the public. And so, you know, even Republican citizens will say, well, I like this or I like that, but I can't get heard. And that's because uh, legislators of, or citizens of both parties are affected by gerrymandering, right? It's just, it's simply, there's no accountability. There's no responsiveness uh, unless you already agree with whatever the leader wants. And so I think that this idea that we can, you know, just look past it and, and continue this fight, we have to get fairer maps so that the legislature is accountable on all the other range of issues. So no matter what you perspective you come from, uh, whether you're left or right, center, or, you know, mostly you just don't care, 
if you at all are affected by what your government does, you're going to want to care about gerrymandering and, and stopping uh, these rigged maps that have been proposed by the Republicans. Yeah, I think so often you hear in Wisconsin, you know, people will say, oh, why can't they come together and, and work this out and find the find the answer? And I think gerrymandering is so often the reason why, uh, because you have a situation where, let's say, a, you know, a bipartisan bill was introduced. If the Republican leadership doesn't like that bipartisan bill, it's not going to get a hearing. That's um, right. Even 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 legislation that could get a majority right. isn't considered because the leader decides what what gets on the floor and what's voted on. And so a lot of times you have a ton of things that are very popular, bipartisan across the state, uh, but they don't get voted on and they don't get addressed because the leadership doesn't want to offend their special interest supporters. And we have to get to a place where if a majority of Wisconsinites want something, uh, you know, we're going to have to we're going to have to make it happen. And that's that's what democracy requires. And it's not what we have in Wisconsin today. Certainly not. All right. Well, uh, thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. And we'll be uh, following all your work with the Fair Election Project going forward. Great. And let me just put in a plug. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Dan Substack and uh, help him do this work. So thanks so much, everybody. I appreciate it.